You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, uh, joined, as always, by Jake Michaels. Good to hear your voice again, Jake, for another episode. Yes, uh, another one, another one in lockdown. Um, so we're tr- still trying to work out this Zoom thing, which uh, is a little tricky with the delay, but we're getting there. We're getting there. The chemistry is getting a bit bit better, Neil Seawang. Uh, your second or third week back now on the podcast uh, since you've been away. How are you finding Zoom life? Uh, Zoom life, it's the it's new normal, isn't it? Not just for the podcast, but for, for a lot of people having to, uh, you know, uh, host or you know, join meetings across Australia and across the world. It's it's not ideal, but what else can you do? Christian Jolly, another weekend of footy for you. Uh, what are your your thoughts coming out of round eight and heading into what we we've all dubbed footy fest of thirty three days uh, games in in twenty days? My thought was probably that yeah, let's enjoy Tuesday night off because uh, <laughs> we go again. But no, <laughs> looking forward to it. That's it. Uh, well, round eight. Well, there's. There's winning ugly and there's winning ugly. There were there were plenty of ugly games, whether it was Geelong winning with their lowest ever score against Fremantle, to the Bombers narrowly avoiding embarrassment against the Crows, to Carlton barely holding off North. There were five games on the weekend uh, decided by seven or fewer points. So I guess you can't argue that they're, they're not close. Uh, and you know what? They're somewhat entertaining. But before we get into the real stuff, the agenda this weekend, guys, uh, this week, guys, I might ask you uh, around the room, Jake, I might start with you, something that caught your eye from the weekend of footy. Well, it had to be uh, Jasper Pittard in the uh, Carlton North game on the three-quarter time siren. Um, I think Polak had just ta- Polak had just taken a mark about forty out from goal, and he just comes in Pittard and dumps Murphy to the Mark Murphy to the ground, reverses the free kick, and they would have had a shot after the, that three-quarter time siren to take the lead. Um, massive coach killer. There's a lot of coach killers this this round, but you just can't do that. And, and, you know, the, the commentary team at the time actually said, and something I really agree with is this aggression and fake aggro. It's just so pathetic, I find. I hate seeing just players just pushing each other for the sake of it. It's the only sport in the world where players are just hitting each other constantly <laughs> for no reason. I hate Maybe it. Maybe ice hockey. Maybe ice hockey. <laughs> um, Neil, uh, something that we might not get to talk too much about that caught your eye from the weekend. Yeah, talk about low-scoring Dow footy. What caught my eye was um, Toby Green's five goals. And I think what really caught my eye was, is, there, is he the most important player to his team than, than pretty much any other um, player in the league? If he fires, they win. Um, and there's just not many players that can... You, you, can, you can earmark them that if they have a, a, a good game in their books, that their team pretty much gets over the line. There's just He just seems to get the Giants and there's superstars all across the field when the Giants are playing um, within his own team. And, but he just, he sparks them like no other player does. And I, I just love watching him play when he's at his best. That is a good question. He, he might be up there with, you know, you know, Nat Fife to Fremantle or your Patrick Cripps to Carlton about how important one player can be to, to, the, to a team and at least, you know, keeping them competitive uh, for large stretches of games. Uh, Christian, something that caught your eye. Uh, it's probably two. Just a small one is I'll mention. West, well, I'll be a bit greedy. West Coast really enjoy being back at uh, Optus Stadium. That was clearly their best performance of the season. So um, sort of flagged a few weeks ago. We'll see how well they go now that they're back home and settling in. They look very good. Now, the second one is I know EPL finished on the weekend, but um, from that Friday night game, GWS Richmond, I witnessed the longest ground kick I have ever seen with Tim Taranto. Um, I'm not sure if it was halfway or late in the final quarter. 
booted it. We've recorded it as a 90 metre ground kick. So it's gone from about 35, 40 metres out from Richmond's goal all the way to a centre half forward for GWS. He just he booted out. It was a it was a clanger and a turnover. It went straight to Richmond and came back. You know, came straight back. I don't in. remember it, that. It was <laughs> the longest kick I've ever seen, and that that definitely caught my eye from the weekend. That's one of the more obscure That's stats we'll hear for a while. I don't mind that. Um, was it Zach? Was it Zach Tui in the in the game last night that booted one off the ground from about fifty five and just smacked it into the post? He, he was, was it, he kicked it out of mid air. I'm pretty was sure. It, was and it he, Tui? It yeah, was Tui. Yeah, and he kicked it out of mid air and it hit halfway that up was the behind. Real, yeah. That was a massive kick. Um, so, something that caught my eye. And I don't know why the broadcasters were apologising for this, but a couple of games had the count-up clock going. Yes. Because there weren't... Loved um, There were some issues, apparently, with, with the scoreboard or, or getting the feed from the, the stadiums. And they kept apologising for the count-up clock. And I kept saying to myself, this is what I want to see. Yep, I'm all in on it. I love it. I love the, the suspense of it. All, all they need is the, the extra little five-minute warning that 10 used to play, and, and I'll be content. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, let's get into it. Uh, we seem to have a few clubs emerging as, as genuine bottom four contenders. I mean, we're more than a third of the way through the year now, and it's probably fair to say that there are a few teams that definitely won't be making finals. Among them are the bottom four at the moment, as it stands, Hawthorne, Fremantle, North Melbourne, and Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide, we know, is winless so far through 2020. North has lost six in a row. Hawthorne... Uh, we talked about them last week and their, their many documented struggles. And, and Frio uh, as well, obviously, last night only kicking two goals. I might start with Christian because I want to get a greater understanding of why these teams are struggling so far and if there are any stats that sort of show uh, deficiencies in their game. Uh, so we'll start from the bottom. So Adelaide, I mean, sort of just mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they've just, their first six rounds, five rounds especially, they couldn't get their hands on the ball. So it was hard to tell exactly... You know, a new coach coming in, Matthew Nix, and what they were trying to do with the, the game plan or game style, if you like. So they're still 17th for disposal differential, 17th contested possession differential, 16th uncontested, 18th inside 50. So 18th time in forward half. So not getting any territory game or real, you know, control of the ball. But when they do have it, you can stop, sort of stop, you know, again, whether this, this is because they have the ball so rarely, but they are going forward the fourth most often of any team. They go long the third most often. They use the corridor coming out of the back line the fourth most often. So a little bit of attacking signs and trying to take the game on there. But as I said, it's just, you know, there's bottom two for everything forward half, trying to lock the ball in there, get stoppages in your forward half, intercepts in your forward half. Uh, So, yeah, at the moment, just really struggling to sort of um, get control of the ball or control the territory in the game even. Sure. Uh, anyone sort of has, that has watched them over the last few weeks can attest to that. And, but against the Bombers on the weekend, they did look a little bit better going forward. And, and you saw Taylor Walker was the beneficiary of that. Um, the Smalls got involved a bit more. Is it, is it kind of beyond the realms to say that losing someone like Eddie Betts and his ability to put pressure on the, on the, the, the ball carriers coming out of their opposition's defence or their Adelaide's attack, that's hurting them? Because they can't seem to just keep the ball in as easily with, with blokes that aren't quite up to the calibre of, of someone like Betts. Yeah, and I've looked at, I mean, sort of the personnel in their forward line as well. And they, they don't have a lot of pressure pressure players up there. I mean, they've, they've run a few, a fair few forwards this year without, you know, much consistency. Fogarty's been in and out of the team. Uh, McAdams coming to the team lately. Gallucci, uh, we haven't seen much of. McHenry's sort of, you know, he's probably the one. McHenry's a, you know, can be a very, very good pressure player. Still young, um, you know, still trying to find his feet in that forward line. But again, looking at personnel, they have... 
only three players on their list at the moment. And again, this is probably because the team's struggling so much that rate above average or better in their position. So they don't have an elite player. They're only got three oh, above yeah. player. Who are they? Oh, players. That's so, so Rory, Yeah, so Rory Sloan is probably the most obvious one injured. Uh, Brody Smith still doing what he does. And Tom Dodie, who's just one of you know, the best interceptors across halfbacks above average. Um, you could throw in Malera, who across two games would have been rated above average, but at this stage of the season, you sort of need to play three games to sort of count, you know, within that bracket. So, uh, again, it's, you know... It's, it's unreal to, to think they only have three players that rate there or higher. That's shocking, yeah, so isn't it? It's been a struggle for them this season. Tough times. Absolutely. What about moving on to, to North Melbourne? I mean, they started so hot and, um, you know, people were sort of saying, oh, finals for North after they win the first two games of the season. And then since then, it's been L, 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 L. Yeah. So uh, North, again, um, since I remember talking about this, maybe 07, 08, 09, when I you know, first started working at Champion Data, but they've always been a very, very, uh, if the words dower team, very good on the inside. So again, this year, they're, they're fourth for the contested possession differential. They're you know doing quite well out of the stoppages or doing okay, but again it's it's the outside. It's the sec- they got the second worst kick rating of any team. So should you be hitting the target and whether you do or not, so they're the second worst at that. What teams are doing against them as well is trying to spread them on the outside. So teams are handballing got the second lowest kick to handball ratio against them. So trying to really use handballs to get away from them. Uh, so North have conceded the fewest marks against. Um, of any team, so again, with all those L's in the in the column next to their their name on the ladder, they're um you know it's not but by teams just chipping it around, doing it easy. It's sort of trying to get them on the spread, and again, uh, easiest side to score against once you get inside fifty. So that that faster ball movements are sort of um, putting the defence out of position and making it hard to stop the opposition from scoring once they get down there. So little wonder Ben Brown's having such a struggling year if you if your midfielders and wingers can't hit targets. Yeah, I think I think that's probably been yeah exactly as I said, fourth for contested possession differential. They can get the ball, uh, but it's yeah just trying to sort of move it swiftly and quickly and cleanly. It is amazing how within within you know the space of eight weeks they have they started so brightly. They beat the Giants, which was a great win, and then um, it's all fallen apart so quickly for North. So it's it's rare that you can have such a good start and then you know flatline like they are. Strange, you know, it's a strange season for them. Well, it is a strange season, that's that's for sure, Neil. Um, <laughs> moving on to Fremantle. Look, I, I, before you say anything, Christian, I, I've actually been somewhat impressed by the Dockers. I think I thought they were going to be a lot worse than what they are, especially missing some some key posts, especially down back with you know, Alex Pierce or Joel Hamling, and they've, they've seemed to really find ways to cover um, those sort of deficiencies. But but where are they kind of struggling? Yeah, you're right. So I mean, comparing like we look at a lot of our tables, sort of bottom four comes up red, top four comes up green. So Comparing to the other teams we just spoke about, there's a lot less red on their spreadsheet. Um, again, because they're just they're hovering 12th to 10th to 9th in certain areas. Um, but yeah, the big thing for them, and again, similar to North, something that's been an, probably a recurring theme with Fremantle scoring potency. Um, just they just don't score. They can't. You know, they score 16th per inside 50. They don't get an inside 50 enough. Uh, they just don't put the points on the scoreboard. But again, sort of taking a step back and looking at personnel you, you'd probably say when they really get going their three best forwards are probably Rory Lobb, Nat Fife and Michael Walters I mean I know Tavern is probably up there too when he really really gets going but Lobb, Fife and Walters they're almost your three best stoppage players as well so it's almost like if they can, if they can get another another Lobb, another Fife and another Walters to sort of switch <laughs> with them uh, they'll be fine but again the, the, the main thing that comes out for them is just yeah 
their, their work in the forward half and being able to put it on the scoreboard. Well, it just sounds like they need to get some some fitness on the park as well. I mean, you know, Nat Fife missing obviously hurts and, and Jesse Hogan's been in and out and has had his troubles. And I mean, someone like Matera needs to just get get going again because clearly they need more output from those sort of guys. So you can put your Walters and your Fife's and, and these sort of guys and your lobs back in the middle where they're just as effective. Yes, correct. So that's another thing I sort of was going to mention after all four. I mean, North is on top of the injury ladder, so they've been most hardest hit by injuries. Cunnington and Liebel being the two most clearest ones. Uh, and Frio were fourth on that list. So again, yeah, they're, they're another one. You can sort of put a little asterisk to, yeah, they're bottom four, but they've also been, you know, hit hard by injuries. They weren't, you know, they weren't the strongest list coming in. I don't think anyone thought they were going to be top eight. So, you know, a little bit of injuries here and there can really sort of decimate those types of teams. Um, again, looking at the injury ladder, one is sort of got to give a tick to. GWS are third on that. Mm. So uh, being, again, every year hit hard by injury, but enough talent to sort of cover the, cover the spread. Definitely. And uh, I know we, we talked about them at length last week and have for, for the last few weeks, actually. Um, but the Hawks, I mean, where are they struggling most? Yeah, again, we talked about them. They're, they're not getting their hands with the ball as yeah. much as usually um, they usually do. Their forward line's not as potent either. But again, the, the main worry that the most red areas on there is their ball use. Um, so again, I spoke about it last week, never been big reliance on contested possession. Um, stoppages, contested possession, they're sort of okay to go 50-50 or maybe even lose most weeks because they'll get you on the outside. They'll win the ball back, they're more cleanly and they'll be able to keep possession. Uh, this year, again, 18th for contested possession and then uh, one of the worst kicking efficiencies and ball users uh, of any team. So that doesn't help. So again, I think, yeah, the main issue for them is getting back to that old Hawthorne way of being able to chip the ball around and just hit targets consistently uh, mm. to move the ball forward. Well, at this time of the year, um, a lot of fans of, of clubs that are struggling like to look towards the future. I know it's still technically quite early in the season, despite it being late July. Uh, but, I mean, some of these clubs might be thinking what their next move is off the field, um, you know, trade bait. So who from these bottom four teams, uh, guys, do we think is worth more to other clubs than their current team? For instance, I can start us off with, with Adelaide. I look at names like Brody Smith and Paul Seedsman and think they've got some, some good currency that they could shop around at the end of the year, get some draft picks in and just continue this, this gut and this rebuild of this club. I, I don't know what, what you guys sort of think about trading out these players. Um, but, you know, you know, Brad Crouch is a free agent, obviously, and, and Atkins is in a free agent uh, window himself. But someone like Brody Smith, who, who, Christian, you sort of said is just doing Brody Smith things, I reckon he could be a real asset to another team. And a Paul Seedsman, run, carry, long kicks, hits the scoreboard, could be just as valuable to another team. So maybe that's where they could start to look at, um, at, at extracting some value. I just wonder how much value they'll have, those two players in particular. Smith will maybe net you something... That- reasonably valuable but I think Seedsman is 28 29 he's never strung games together with his body so I don't know whether clubs will really pay up a lot for him multi yeah that's fair enough I mean you kind of got to look at the list and think who's who's most valuable when you look at your Tom Duday's as, as probably your untouchables I mean he captained the club on the weekend and, and looks to be the next leader of the club you think Rory Sloan is the current skipper's untouchable Rory Laird you think's untouchable I mean you kind of got to look at, at where you can uh, get some value for some players, even if even if it means sort of trading out players who, you know, you don't want to or, or, or something like that. Does anyone else sort of have any objections to someone like Brody Smith being being traded out? I mean, he's a valuable player at the Crows, but you, you assume there are clubs out there that could, could want someone like that. Well, there has been. But what about the Crouch brothers? I mean, the last couple of seasons since that, that infamous grand final, I think there's been a lot of talk about the Crouch brothers. Um, you know, they've, they are 
good players. Um, they're both different players, but you know, is, is it worth them, you know, the, cl- the club looking at shifting or moving on from those two to try and get something? Because I think they're probably the two that have the most value, if you like, for the Crows. They can probably net you something decent. Well, yeah, Crouch is a free, Brad Crouch is a free agent this year. Matt Crouch is, is contracted for another season, but he'll become a restricted free agent next year. So, I mean, do you look at dealing Matt Crouch before he comes out of contract? Um, Possibly. You know, no, you let Brad, surely Brad, so the, the free agent Brad Crouch, if he, if he leaves, it looks like they're going to get a first round compensation pick. And if they finish on the bottom, get pick one, then they might get pick one and two if there's a big enough contract in front of Brad Crouch. So I reckon the Crows would be mad to keep him, to be honest. If you can get, you know, pick two for him effectively, it was a bit like when Melbourne lost James Frawley to Hawthorne and got pick three out of that. So I think if you're down the bottom of the ladder and there's a big offer for one of your players, you've got, you've got to get more. Yeah. yeah, you've got to take it. You'd be silly not to, I think. Absolutely. Uh, what about North Melbourne? I mean, do we have any options about who, who could be on the, on the blocks there? Well, North Melbourne's an interesting one. I, I, I kind of had a look at North and, and probably went the other way. And it's interesting because one of the players I think that would really work well uh, at North is Paul Seedsman. And Christian just spoke about um, the fact that North um, don't, they, they, they don't struggle so much uh, on the inside. It's more that outside, a bit of pace on the outside, um, a bit of a good ball use on the outside. And someone like Paul Seedsman, who we've seen him bomb goals from 55 metres out. So, I reckon Paul Seisman, he is 28. He Neil's right. He has struggled to string games together, but if he can be fit over the course of a season, he's proven that he can be a real top-line player if Agreed. he can get a good run at it. Um, and I really see a bit of value for him um, coming into a side like North Melbourne. Um, in terms of players that they could probably look at dealing out, I think the obvious one, and a, a probably really, if, for, for most North fans, probably someone who's been really frustrating over the last six or seven years to sort of tease with what they can do is Mason Wood. Again, another player that's getting to that. He's yeah. only 26, so he's not, he's not as old as you might think. Um, he's had games where he's looked looked like a, like a world beater, but then again, too many, too many periods of just not being able to get fit. Uh, and also too many games where he's just been anonymous on the ground. So I think a cl- I think there's a few clubs out there now that would be looking for that. He's he's that that really unique and specialised mid-sized type forward, who I reckon could command quite a lot uh, for a club that's that's pushing uh, pushing for a top four grand final berth. I think you're right. I think a change of scenery would do someone like him really, really well. And North have kind of a few of those mid to larger range forwards waiting in the way. I mean, Cam Zerhar's emerged as one, one of the better ones that they've picked up. And Tristan Jerry's been getting a few games uh, over the last uh, couple of months. Yeah, I think they're well, they're well yeah. stocked in that, in that regard. Yeah. I think they're, they're well stocked there. And um, an area I did look at, and it's funny because another player I looked at potentially bringing in is Brad Crouch. And, and then you look to push, um, you look to push Zeeble into the forward line. But, but to be honest, to go back to, to North, I don't really think North is as dire as the other three in the, in the bottom four. I actually think North, and this might sound crazy, but I think North is in that sort of on the cusp of the top eight. I think they've just been smashed with injuries. And I don't think North is anywhere near as bad as what their ladder position um, suggests. What about Fremantle? The other positive... Oh, sorry. So, before we leave North, the other... Very quickly, the other positive that North have is they've got Melbourne's first-round pick. So, they'll get a low pick themselves. They, should, they, they might get pick two or three or four. 
And if Melbourne, say, finish mid-table, they get picked 8, 9, 10. So that's a great haul to take into this year's draft. Yeah, absolutely. What about the Dockers? Uh, we kind of touched on them and, and their injuries. I mean, what can they do to improve their list? So I, I'm so Jake is really upbeat on on North, and I'm similarly upbeat on Frio. I know they struggle to score, but they've been smashed by injuries too. Thinking about you know against Geelong, they had no Nat Fife, no Jesse Hogan, uh, Alex Pierce, Joel Hamling, um, Griffin Logue, and then Darcy Tucker goes down. So I think they've just been enormously unlucky. I think they're playing better football. Um, and I think they've done previous years and I think they've actually already started their rebuild. Um, they went to the draft really heavily. They got um, Andrew Brayshaw and Adam Chera um, a couple of years ago who looked like they're really emerging now. Um, Caleb Sarong, Hayden Young. Um, they had three first rounders last year, which was a draft haul, um, which I think our man Chris Dory um, gave them an A um, after last year's trade period or draft period, I should say. So rather than, than cutting deeper and going younger, I actually think that they're maybe in the zone where they look to add a really strong key ag- uh, free agent to help their midfield um, because you're obviously not giving up draft picks. So I'm looking at, obviously, Brad Crouch, but also Jack Viney, both 26, can, can really help their midfield. Um, and it may allow them to play Nat Fife and, and Sonny Walters forward more because I know they split their time a little bit. Mm. Um, but if they really bolster their midfield, um, it might actually... Um, help them play Fife and Waters closer to goal. So we know that their goals are hard to come by. Um, and it also means as free agents, they're not, they're not giving up a draft pick. So I like, like the idea of bolstering their midfield now. Um, and hopefully with a better run for injuries, they can, um, they can rise up the ladder. Well, it's so valuable to play those, those players like Walters and, and Fife closer to goal. I mean, we've spoken about players like Toby Green, Robbie Gray, Dustin Martin. They all go forward and they all have that incredible scoreboard impact um, and when Frio has been struggling win the midfield and it's just been at times just Fife in there you just can't go forward so I really like the idea of bringing in someone to bolster that that inside midfield stock at the Dockers. Very good uh, and and last of all the uh, Hawthorne Christian you, you might have taken a look at them and, and where they can improve their list over the next uh, year or so. Uh, so yeah, with the Hawks, I think very, very different what we said with the other three clubs. I think they almost have to stay at their course. We spoke last week, 20 unused players so far. Um, and check if they added one in this weekend. I don't. I think they added Brooksby in, so they might be down to 19. But um, so many traded in players. Again, maybe <clears throat> maybe on their list, again, you've you got to start from the, the older players and wonder if Isaac Smith or Jack Gunston, whether they can get some value out of those two. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I know they didn't get a lot for Mitchell and Hodge and Jordan Lewis and these likes, but we do know they, they like to sort of move them on to give them opportunities at other clubs. Um, but in terms of bringing in players, again, you'd, you'd have to be careful. And I sort of, I know we talked about Hawthorne and it's a bit of ball use and ball control, but typical Hawthorne, I thought of one that you could probably sniff around and see what's going on with is Joe Danaher. Um, you know, again, they've, they've tried with, with Patton. Um, it could still work, but he's had a frustrating run with injury. Um, so far this year and you know Mitch Lewis, Tim O'Brien and the other two, I do like the look of Mitch Lewis um, Tim O'Brien's probably five or six years in the system, he's not going to be a number one key forward target up there and they throw McAvoy, um, you know playing Brooksby in there to get another tall so again could Hawthorne sort of pull off that unknown and sort of I would think they need to stockpile a few more draft picks and younger players but if there was a free agent you could get I think Joe Danaher would be one you'd be sniffing around. Have they left it too late to 
trade out players for value though. I mean, they seem to do this every year with, with as you said, like your, your Lewis's and your Mitchell's and then getting picks in the 70s back for them. Is Isaac Smith going to get that much in return? Or, I mean, Jack Gunston, I mean, he'd be Gunston 32. I mean, where do yeah, you sort correct. of... Yeah, correct. So it was hard, it's hard, you know, like you look at someone like, again, the untouchables are probably Sicily, Mitchell, O'Meara. Um, so then he next down to... Blake Hardwick, you know, he might get you something high, but you're not going to trade him if you're Hawthorne. Um, so there's not on, a lot on their list. And again, you're probably right, Gunston Smith, they might only be 30, 40, 50s picks in the what about, again, yeah. What about Luke Bruce? He's almost, yeah, yeah again, yeah. he's almost name. I'm, I'm a huge Luke Similar Bruce age, but I, would, but I, I think... Keep him, but yeah, it's, it's hard to find Luke Bruce. It's very hard to find Luke Bruce. I mean, you look at his numbers and what he's done. I mean, he stacks up he's with so the best small forwards of the last 20 years, uh, if you look at his numbers. So sh- there's got to be a lot of clubs out there that I think he, his skill set is so um, unique and, and he's one of the best at his position going around. I think no one's going to give up pick 25 for him. Yeah, you might get... You don't, 30, you don't reckon you'd get a second-round pick for, for a player like Luke Bruce? And maybe a late second-round pick. I think a club that's 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 crying out for a for a small forward um, that's that's in the top eight at the moment or around that mark. Again, we know how close the competition is. I think you'd be crazy not to want to take someone like Luke Bruce and give up a second round pick. Mm. All right, uh, well, the Danaher one is is a is a fascinating idea. I'd never thought about whether Hawthorne might want to chase Joey Danaher. So I like I like the suggestion, Christian, whether or not. Joey wants to stay at the Bombers, but if not, it sounds like he wants to get out of Melbourne or, you know, Victoria, the state. So, um, but if he does want to just change clubs within Melbourne, that's a good fit. They're not giving up anything for him apart from salary. So, um, yeah, good, sure. good curveball there. Uh, let's whip around the room really quickly, keep these answers short. Uh, Neil, which list has the most upside of those four? Yeah, as I spoke about with Frio, I think they've got a little bit more upside. They just need a bit of luck to get on the park. They, they've got talent. Um, and if they, you know, if they get a little bit more uh, of a better run from the injury gods, I think they've got a, a chance to finish mid-table next year. Jake? I think uh, in the short term, I think pretty clearly North Melbourne probably has the most short-term upside. I think they've got the best list of those four. They just have, again, their injury list is, is horrible if you look at it. Um, I think North do, but looking ahead, it's so hard to say further than the next sort of 18 months, 24 months. Yeah, fair enough. Christian, what does uh, Champion Data's numbers say? Oh, I haven't looked at the numbers to <laughs> work this out, but I'd, I think Frio, for, if you, again, agree with Neil, for the, if you're looking three, four, five years with what they've got, I think Frio is probably slightly ahead of the other three teams at this stage. Yeah, I think I agree with you both. Okay, uh, moving on. You mentioned it, uh, we mentioned it off the top about Footy Fest and how. Really, we've only got uh, Tuesday night to sort of catch our breath before everything explodes. We've got 33 games in, in 20 days. Jake, it's a pretty simple question I'm going to ask you, though. Is this necessary at this point of the year? Well, I don't think so. Because if we, go, if we rewind a few months when you know, the AFL uh, shortened the season, we, we cut back to, to the 17 rounds. Um, and that was all well and good. And, and everyone's understanding of that was, okay, we're cutting, shortening the season so that we can basically, we don't have to run 23 rounds and run this to December. So we can basically shorten it down so we can still finish the season, still play one game a week and, and still finish it um, maybe in October, November, maybe. But now we're, we're compressing all of these games into a really short period of time, this small window. 
And it's like, well, why? If the AFL is comfortable with finishing the season in October or November, then why are we now trying to shorten it to finish it sooner? I don't understand it. it it's, it's almost as if they are aware that they're going to have another period where they can't play any games. But if that is to happen, I don't think there's it's going to be a two or three week window where the coronavirus shuts everything down for a couple of weeks. If it, ha- if it gets to the point where it has to shut down again, it's going to be for a lot longer than a couple of weeks. It's going to be basically at the point where the whole season gets abandoned. So to answer your question, no, I, I don't see it is necessary. Pretty I think strong. the AFL said that they, they're comfortable pushing out the season till November, December at last resort, but I think they really would not want that to happen. So I think, yes, that's a sort of a last, you know, breaking break in case of emergency situation for them. But I think they'd much prefer to finish in October, which is, I think, why they're, they're sort of running scared about the potential of, of, as you say, Jake, future shutdowns. So I think the fear of what might happen next is what's making them sort of, I guess, panicking to condensing all these fixtures. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a... Go, go on. on. <laughs> I was going to say, well, you've <laughs> got... There are so many viable states at this point that have got the thing well under control. Like, I think Perth has only had a, a few cases over the last few weeks and they've all been returned travellers. So once these clubs do their quarantining um, in, the, in the state that they're, that they're playing out of, it really doesn't seem like there's much of a risk. And, and touch on wood and, and, you know, who knows, and maybe that comes back to bite me. But Tasmania's been extremely tough and, and, and have really got on top of it. South Australia's been really tough and have got on top of it. WA, Queensland, the Northern Territory is there Territory. as well. I mean, it just seems to me like, what, what Jake said, I mean, and considering all these players are, are flying in and flying out and they're living in hotel rooms, I mean, any sort of semblance of normalcy and playing a week by week would probably be better for everyone at this point. But look, um, as you say, I think you can understand, uh, as you said, Neil, you can understand why they think they want to do it now. But the necessity of it, to me, it doesn't seem like it's the right call at this stage. Um, but again, you know, touch wood and who knows what happens in the future. But maybe they're just protecting in, in case something does happen. Who knows? As, as fans, are we, are we looking forward to footy on every night? I know we all love footy and we, you know, in previous incarnations, we've all talked about too much footy is never enough. But, you know, if we take our employment hats on, off, um, <laughs> do we like the idea that there's going to be footy on every night for the next three or four weeks? Well, I'm going to keep my employment hat on because I think, I think I'm going to have just so much focus on footy throughout the week that I won't actually have a day to sort of catch my breath. Uh, and, and like, you know, you liken it to something else. Like, I love donuts. But if I ate donuts every day <laughs> and multiple, it just reminds me of that Simpsons scene where it's like, have all the donuts in the world. So, yes, I think there is too much footy and, and I'm going to be sick of it by day 12, I reckon. But uh, look, footy's better than no footy. I can live with, yeah, 7.40 every night's fine for me. I think it's the 5.40 games that are going to get me in trouble. Uh, dinner time and bath time for the kids and things like that. That's probably not the best one. But no, nah, give me seven, 7.40 game every night of the week. I'll, I'll take that any time. Yeah, I don't see any any problem any problem with it at all. Like, you can if you can't watch it at the live, just record it, watch it a bit later. I mean, you know, if there's five games on on a Saturday, you're generally not watching all of them. You can't watch them all live. So, you know, what's the harm in spreading them out? You watch one every every day or, or you know every second day if you want. Talk, talk to my girlfriend Jake. She might tell you why. Why not? <laughs> Certainly for for us, what no fans is better than watching. <laughs> Some of the uh, some of the offerings on Netflix or commercial TV or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do we have just quickly before we move on? Do we have any ideas about the best strategy to to tackle three games in in eleven odd days for some of these teams? Uh, resting players for games or less time on ground percentage? Like, how do you think teams are going to approach this? 
Well, we spoke about it before, but the you know those types of players that can split their time between midfield and forward, I think you're going to see that a lot. I think um, there's a lot of players that can do it, but I think there's a lot that are going to be split between midfield and, and forward. So a player that probably spends 80 85 to 90 percent of the time in the midfield is probably going to spend about 60 because you just can't play three games in in two weeks or 13 days whatever it is um even with the shortened quarters it's just going to be too difficult so i think we're going to see that a lot of rotations a lot of a lot of resting here and there i don't necessarily know if teams will be making big sweeping changes each week each game because it's just going to kill your continuity, I think, if you if you're taking in six or seven players each game. Um, but certainly, re- a lot of rest within games. Fair enough. Recovery yeah. is just going to be the most important, you know, yeah. important element of these of these clubs for the next foreseeable future, isn't it? Absolutely. You think, um, you know, some of these games are going to be four days apart. Do you wonder if teams like including Richmond, and Collingwood and Essendon, teams that play these sort of marquee games that happen to be midweek sometimes? That sort of an advantage going into this? Potentially. I mean, the more you've done something, the more comfortable you are at it, isn't it? So the, yeah. the clubs that have had four, you know, even three or four day breaks in the past, they've, they've done it before. It was interesting hearing Simon Goodwin talk about the fact that um, they've got their new fitness, um, fitness guru, Burgess, um, in, from who's, in from the English Premier League. And he said that they, they play regular, um, you know, two, three day break games. So, you know, it's obviously probably a little bit of a um, a chest puffing experience talking about the, the fact that they're prepared for it. But it was interesting that he said that you know there is a little bit of um, knowledge to be gained from these other sports that play more regularly. Um, but yeah, any club that nails it just sets themselves up because every club's in you know uncharted territory. Yeah. It's funny. I, I I always you know it's it's the media and the fans that go on about the 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 breaks between games a lot of the time. But players actually aren't overly phased by it. I remember I spoke to Lockie Neal last year and, and asked him about the five-day breaks between games. He's like, prefer to play on five-day breaks. You know, you, you, you feel like you get that continuity. You keep going. It's the fans and the media that make a big deal out of, oh, they've only got a five-day break against a six-day break. I mean, I'm sure Christian has the numbers, but I don't necessarily think there's going to be that much skewed in favour of a six-day team beating a five-day team or a seven over a six. Mm. We talked about it last year on the podcast. I remember we, we sort of looked at teams playing teams with other breaks and there wasn't too much of a, it wasn't too much of an anomaly sticking out that shorter breaks or longer breaks were better or worse. So yeah. who knows? Um, it's not like a one day break playing a, playing a week off or something like that. I mean, five <laughs> days is pretty close. It may as well be six. <laughs> Unless you're Geelong and you're coming off the bye. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Jake, your mate, Alistair Clarkson's in the news again this week. Uh, had some choice words about... Tom Papley uh, and, and his sort of tendency to, quote, milk-free kicks. We've made a bit of a big deal about it, but are his comments really that big of a deal? Well, they're not. Um, and it might sound a bit, well, maybe not controversial, but it might go against what everyone's been hearing and saying um, since Alistair made those comments. And look, I've been pretty critical of Alistair over the, over the journey, but... <laughs> I don't really understand the the criticism that he's receiving from making a comment about another player. Why can't he make that comment? Whether I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying that Papley milks free kicks or he does or doesn't. I'm just saying, why can't he say what he thinks? I don't understand why. And it's not just coaches, it's players as well. It's, the AFL is a sport where we, we don't want anyone to say anything that might 
might be somewhat offensive and it's very vanilla, very sterile. And I just hate it. It's, it's the same sort of thing with coaches not being able to say, you know, that umpiring decision cost us a game. It's like, but why? Why can't they say that? Every fan's saying it on Twitter. Every fan's <laughs> talking about it, you know, to their mates. It's like, why can't the coach say it? Neil, is how much media training is too much media training? Are we too <laughs> vanilla? Yeah, the whole industry is vanilla. I mean, you, you, you see these sometimes these, these young kids come in who are 17, 18 and they have a little bit of a spark about them and then two years later they've been media trained within an inch of their life. Um, <laughs> I think the industry is really immature in the way that they don't trust or don't accept um, people speaking their mind. I mean, there are people that do speak their mind like a Jason Ackermanis and then he gets rubbished and, uh, yeah. for the fact that he actually offers an opinion. Um, and you might not agree with their opinions. You might regularly not agree with their opinions, but the fact that they... The it's a point of difference. Like yeah. so, something else. It, it gets to the point where if I'm listening to a radio show like pre-game or you know, even during the day and a player or a, a coach comes on, I almost tune out because I know that there's going to be nothing interesting said, <laughs> um, which is a sad state of affairs. It's not, it's not great that the athletes uh, aren't being able to display their personalities. I think you're spot on, Neil, because I reckon the best interviews I've had with footy players have been on draft night, where you get to have a one-on-one with kids that have come straight into the system. They're excited to be there. You can ask them whatever they want, and and they will answer it however they want. Um, And then you can speak to the same player two years later. And and you're right. It's just just been sort of censored and and sort of coerced into this, this bizarre vanilla, oh, we take every game as it comes, one day at a time. Oh, they're a good team. They're a good side. Oh, they're well coached. Oh, this, that, the other. You know, it'll never happen because it's just the way it is in, in Australia. But you'll never have a player sitting around like NFL locker room style saying, he is a bum. You know, I, I beat him every time I line up on him. And, and I'm the best, you know, full forward in the game. And, and Harris Andrews is, is trash. He's no good. I don't know why he's all Australian. You know, that kind of thing. You just never, it'll, it'll never, that will never happen. We, we, saw, we saw a little bit of it in AFLW, Taylor Harris yeah. and... Um, uh, <laughs> Collingwood player, I can't remember which Collingwood player it was that had to go out of it. Again, that just got beat up to within the yeah. of its life. Like the, the media wouldn't, you know, play it both. I was the same. I'm like, oh, I don't mind a little bit of that. But then within a week of the media trying to find every single opinion piece about it and whether it was right or wrong, and that's like, they're never going to do that again. Why, why put themselves in the spotlight for a little bit of back and forth banter? And do you remember probably about three or four years ago, Tom Bug? you know, had a go at uh, <laughs> Jason Johannesson. Uh, he, 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 he posted something on Instagram like, are you ready for me or something like that? That's right. And then he played as a defensive forward on him. And I think he played pretty well. And, um, but all, there was so much outrage that he happened to be sort of, you know, playfully taunting his opponent. And it was just so ridiculous. We need yeah. more of it. It's, it's engaging. The media in the States would not bat an eyelid at something like that. But, you know, you get some, some organisations that love the clicks and they get the clickbait going with the titles and, and whatnot. So just going, back to, just going back to Clarkson, do we, do, what do you guys think? Do you think that he, you know, should be able to say what he thinks? Look, he's a, he's a sore loser, Alastair Clarkson. Like, <laughs> he is. I mean, let's just, let's just call yeah. a spade a spade. But um, should he be able to say that? I think he should. Well, he should. I don't think he should get fined or like a plea no. explained. Like, but he should, he'll wear the consequences of saying it. That's what I, I, Look, you can say whatever you want, but as long as you wear the consequences of what the fans say on Twitter, what the media reports, you can say whatever you want. But the media can report the fact that he said it. The media can say mm. Alastair Clarkson said this, but the media shouldn't be writing opinion pieces saying 
How dare Alistair Clarkson say this? He shouldn't say this. He's the coach. That's the problem because that's what yeah. people read, and then they—that's how—that's how the general uh, punter forms their opinion about it because they read this and say, "Oh, well, he shouldn't have said that because I'm reading a story on whatever it is that's saying that he shouldn't read it." And now I agree with that, and that's the problem with it because he should be able to say it, just like any other player should be able to say whatever they want, so long, you know, within reason. I mean, there's certain things, you, there's certain lines you can't cross, obviously, but when it comes to a bit of trash talk and a little bit of, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. Yeah, I don't enough. see. Have anything to add? No, 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 I reckon you summed it up pretty well, Jake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's the move on. The only th- yeah, let's move on. I think I think we all would like a bit more honesty and a bit more engagement with the, yeah, the people that's all we want. represent the game. Yeah, well said. All right, uh, our favourite segment time, Justified Hype or Hyperbole, where I'll uh, say a statement and you guys will tell me if the hype is justified or if I'm talking in hyperbole. Let's sort of whip through these. West Coast won the Judd trade. And the, co- the context of that is that Josh Kennedy, who was traded to West Coast as part of that trade, has now gone above Brennan Favola uh, on the all-time goal kickers list. And Judd was brought in to give Favola more chances at goal. Jake? I think this was justified probably three years ago, three, three or four years ago. Look, Chris Judd, one of the great players of the modern era, one of the great players of all time, really. But let's be honest, his best years were at the Eagles, even though he won a, won a Brownlow medal at Carlton. Um, but I think what Josh Kennedy's done over the last decade, you know, he, he's climbed, he'll, by the end of his career, he'll have climbed into the top 25 goal kickers of all time. And he's done that pretty much his whole career at now at West Coast. And I think they've won that trade. Well said. Uh, Neil, the Bombers aren't as good as their ladder position suggests. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. And they also have a game in hand, so they could actually be even higher. But they're playing like a bottom four team at the moment. I think anyone that was forced to endure their game against um, the Crows <laughs> wouldn't have seen much to get excited about, apart from the fact that it was a close finish. But, um, you know, but there's, 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 you know, the fact that they're winning games and playing ugly and, you know, they're hardly, you know, in, in fifth gear, it's probably a good sign. They, they might be able to find form at the back end of the year and they've built a buffer. So good on them. Yeah, absolutely. We said it off the top. There are a few ugly wins and theirs was, ooh, that was up there. <laughs> uh, Christian, the other end of the spectrum, the Saints are legit. Uh, I think just the bite height. They're legit as in they're right in the mix for top eight. Um, so I think... No, no, no. Just, let's go above that. Sorry. Let, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to push the issue on this one. Legit. What's the bar for legit? <laughs> Sorry. You that You're dreaming. Top four contender. Uh, yeah, why not? Yes, definitely. Why, why couldn't they? Yeah, good point. I think they've been playing excellent footy and, and apart from uh, one loss that was pretty bad a couple of weeks ago, they've, they've looked um, exciting. Uh, Jake, mm. I'll throw this to you because you've got some opinions on this. Uh, Sean Burgoyne is again lucky not to be suspended for a dangerous tackle. Yeah, no, he is lucky. Um, Sean Burgoyne's been a really good player for a long time, but... Sean Burgoyne might be the most overrated player of the last decade. Um, oh, and that, and that's, that wasn't that, a statement. That wasn't after that. And that's not, a, that's not a swipe. That's nothing to do with Sean Burgoyne. That's everyone else and the way they view Sean Burgoyne. Sure, and I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. You never... Sean Burgoyne makes two or three mistakes a game. And every mistake he makes, the commentary will always be, I think that's the first miss kick I've ever seen from Sean Burgoyne. I think that's the first missed tackle I've seen from Sean Burgoyne. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, he no. makes a lot of mistakes. He's he's had some great moments over his over the journey. Jake, he's, a, he's a great player. Jake, sling tackle. <laughs> the statement was Bergwijn is lucky not to be suspended for a day. Yeah, I said I said he was lucky. That was what I said. <laughs> Rewind the tape. <laughs> um, uh, Christian, I'll throw this one to you. Uh, Patrick Cripps and other star midfielders deserve better protection from the umpires. Oh, I think so. I think um, definitely, and this isn't just a Patrick Cripps thing. I thought uh, I probably go a little bit the other way with Patrick Cripps. I thought he needed just he needed to get his mind off. I thought I thought it worked for North because he started just looking at the umpire at every stoppage, Cripps yeah. and whinging, and sometimes you just got to play the ball. But when the ball's dead and the umpire hasn't even thrown it in yet, the amount of blocking and arm sort of grabbing and that that's the one that gets me. The ball's not even in play, and you're allowed to sort of you know put two arms on a bloke and around him. Um, it's yeah, it's difficult to watch. But as I said, there, there's sometimes when the tactics work and the umpire's missing it, you've just got to you just got to keep playing the ball as, as as frustrating as it must be for that player getting tagged. Absolutely. Uh, all right, we we've asked this in previous weeks, but we might make this a weekly <laughs> statement until uh, we are proven right or wrong. Uh, Adelaide will win a game this year. Adelaide, sorry, Adelaide will not win a game this year, Neil. Hyperbole, but I mean the weekend. <laughs> the weekend showed how close they are. But I, I think we're slightly taking the piss here, asking that question every week we until are, yes. they win one. Uh, they've got North this week. Who knows? They yeah. uh, they might be a couple of days away from actually notching their first one. Jake, do they win this week? No, no. North will get them. No, they're not. They're not going to win a game this year. I said oh, that. Oh, you reckon week. the hype's justified? Yep, the hype is justified. They're going to be. <laughs> They're going to be winless. No, they should win one, but I'm going to just say they're not going to because, yeah. There's been no media strong. training for you because you've come out whacking everyone. This this episode has <laughs> been very good, very refreshing. Why not? Um, <laughs> all right, let's wrap it up here. Uh, look, a word of warning to everyone out there because these next few weeks are pretty tough on your tips. Just honestly, get them all in now. Get the next three round of footy. Just tip them all. Uh, and then you don't have to worry about them and you don't get to Friday morning like me and you realise you've forgotten your Thursday night tips, which happens more often than I'd like to admit. So Yeah, the, the, look, next, the, next, the next 20 days is competition <laughs> defining because everyone's going to be forgetting yes. to put them in. <laughs> everyone's forgetting. So if you don't forget to put your tips in, if you're one of the, the ones that do it now for the entire stretch, I guarantee you'll, you'll come up uh, higher than everyone else. So get your tips in, the Footy Tips app uh, or footytips.com.au. Anything else, guys, before we wrap it up? Get some good rest in tonight. We're going to be pretty busy in three weeks. <laughs> That's it. The, uh, the remote control is going to get a workout. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.